And uh, I just want to welcome you this day. I think it is a profound privilege to be together in the house of God, to be worshiping together. And uh, I am so glad that you are here. I'm so glad that we get to do this together as a church family. I think it is not that far in our memories where we were not able to meet together. So every time we do get together, I call that to mind and think, isn't this cool? Because I remember when this was just a dark room and nobody could be here and we just, I just had to talk to a camera. That was a whole different world. So I am so grateful that you guys are here with us today, that we get to be here together and to do this together. If you are new or newer, I want to invite you to our guest center, which is just out these doors. We have a gift for you. We would love to know who you are, what we could do to pray for you or serve you or help you in any way. Um, and we have a gift as well. So you can do that there. You can also do it with your Sunday post. There's a QR code you can scan. And just let us know that you're here. Let us know about you. And, uh, and still stop in at the guest center and get that gift today. Um, we want to be a blessing to you in any way that we can be. Uh, I promise that is not about us as a church trying to recruit you to our church so much as it's about us just sharing the goodness of God in our lives and doing whatever we can to serve you in that way. Uh, in your Sunday post, at, well, actually in Hope Notes this week with the message description, I mentioned that the Hallahans were going to be here today to update us on their mission in Kentucky. Uh, I got a text uh, about... Uh, 45 minutes ago, that they had been exposed to COVID and weren't feeling great, so they are not going to be with us today. Uh, I do think that it's an opportunity for me to say to us as a church family a couple things about missions and missionaries. Sometimes because we are engaged in the process of sanctification and, and following the Lord in our lives and whatever, we, we tend to think that nothing, we're not engaged in things outside of just our sphere. But I promise you, we as a church are. There are bulletin boards all down that hallway there that you can stop in and look at all the places where we are walking with people. Roberta Nagel, who was here last week, has a, a thing there. Um, there are also on several of those boards prayer requests that you can take one and pray for that missionary. So we are behind them. There are some of those places where you can be involved uh, on a, brace, a regular basis because they're local. They're around here. As a matter of fact, starting next week, we're going to start collecting some things for uh uh, Kids Alley for uh, their back-to-school stuff. We're going to have some barrels out. You'll see that at Hope Notes this week, which, again, if you don't get Hope Notes, get Hope Notes, right? Sign, write to Hope Notes at, at hopechristianfellowship.org and say, I want to be on Hope Notes. It will remind you of these things. So we're going to start collecting stuff next week. So there's places for you to be personally involved. There's also places for you to pray and be engaged in the way that we are supporting those who are going to other places we aren't and serving God in those areas. And I also want to say this. Whenever a missionary comes to share with us what's going on in their ministry, I give you an opportunity to give towards them, to encourage them and support them. And I would say it would be a shame for us as a church just because they couldn't be here today because they're sick for us to miss that opportunity so just like we did with Roberta last week if you want to give towards the Hallahans you want to be an encouragement to them you can take the envelopes that are back there mark on it Hallahans drop that in our offering and everything that comes in for them we will pass on to them last week we received over $1,600 for Roberta uh, yeah, and, and that was a huge encouragement to her. Um, what Roberta is going to do is turn that around to the discipleship program that she talked about. She's not going to take any of that herself. She's going to put it into uh, several young people who are there in her ministry being able to go through that intensive discipleship program. So that's a pretty cool thing, and we get to be a part of that. And I think when we get to heaven and God unveils all that he did, some of his plan, 
I think you're going to see some of the fruits of what we did last week and what that turns out to be over the next six months and how many people come into the kingdom because of the investment that was made. I think that's going to be a cool thing to see. Right? That's going to be an awesome thing to see what God has done in that. So having said all of that, uh, let me turn us back to the scriptures today. We are going to be kind of all over the place in scripture today. So uh, get your Bible out, get ready. We can race each other and all that jazz. Uh, we are going to start at 1 Corinthians 13 as we have been. Um, and so we're going to kind of go from there. I, what The reason, the point, the idea, the goal, the target that I have for this summer is that this summer as we walk through these things would be a transformational summer for us as believers. That we would truly be changed as we look at these things that we are very familiar with. But maybe God has a special work, a renewed work, a powerful work in our souls. And so I'm shooting at nothing less than transformation for us as people. So I don't know if that's your goal or not, but if it isn't and you're going to be shocked at what God does, you might want to buckle up a little bit right, as we go through the summer. But that's what I'm praying for. And I, I would ask you to join me in praying that God would transform us, that we would be changed, that God would grow us and sanctify us and build us. So we're going to look at today another part of this idea. Uh, yesterday I was doing some stuff around the house before we came to church to set things up for today. And somewhere along the way, I got a little tiny splinter in my hand. I don't know how or when or where. I, it, and, and every time I, I noticed it, every time I felt it, I looked to find where it was in my hand and I couldn't see it, right? So I kind of looked at it and I was like, where is that? And I don't, I don't see anything. So I say to yourself, well, it must be gone, right? And then like a half hour later, you move your hand a certain way and you're like, oh, nope, it's still there. Where is it? And you're kind of like trying to dig at your hand, trying to figure out where that thing is. It kept announcing its presence even though I couldn't see it. And so eventually, I'm sure either it came out on its own or it's going to flare up in my skin and I'll know where it is or whatever. Eventually, it's going to become a problem if it doesn't get out because it needs to get out. It's this little tiny sliver in my hand, right? I think this stuff we're talking about today is a lot like that. Because what we're going to talk about today drives a lot of what is wrong in this world. What is frustrating to us, what makes us disconnected in ways that crush us and make us feel lost. We can't quite put our finger on it. We can't quite find it. It's hard for us to see. It shows up in the irritation that we have with other people or the wrongness of how things are going. It shows up again and again. We notice the disconnection. We notice the loneliness. We notice the way people talk at each other instead of to each other. But we can't quite find the cause. And because we can't quite get down to it, we can't fix it, we can't remove it, we can't resolve it, and so we just live with it as this background noise in our lives. Let me give you an example of that. Um, for I'm going to take a little informal poll. You don't have to sign anything, and I'm not going to hold you to this, but I'm going to ask you to vote very quickly, all right? So just by a raise of hand, how many people currently believe that our country is too divided? How many people think that our country is too divided? Okay, yeah, that was a tough one. I know. You guys are on the line now. I'm going to, there's a videotape. No, there's not. Anyway, how many people think that the church is too divided? 
maybe more crossover in that than we would like to think. But underneath of all of that, the reason that I bring that up is because today we're going to look at a major reason for division, especially enduring division, growing division. And it's this simple thing, pride. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 10 says it like this, where there is strife, there is pride. Where there is strife, there is pride. I like simple. Don't you like simple? Where there is strife, there is pride. But wisdom is found in those who take advice. I think we found our problem. There is no way we can talk about the subject of pride in any kind of comprehensive way today. But I want to put it in our viewfinder because we are talking about something that really gets in the way, and I think God wants to do some business in our soul. I know that pride, you can look at it all kinds of different ways. It has nuance and shades of meaning and all kinds of things. I think it's easy for us to see pride in someone who is bragging, always comparing themselves to other. Look at me. I know better. I know more. I'm right. You're wrong. Someone who's like, I'm ahead of you uh, in, my, in my possessions, in my wealth, in my talent, in my experience, in my reputation, in my education, in my career. And so we, we see pride very easily there. But pride also shows up in the self-focus of someone who's constantly comparing themselves to others and finding themselves less than. That is a pride-driven ideology, even though you kind of self-hate. Because pride is someone who is finding or believing that they need to find satisfaction and pleasure in their own achievements, in themselves, in what I've done, in what I've accomplished, in what people think of me in my reputation. And I would say, because of that, because pride is someone who is trying to find satisfaction and pleasure in themselves, pride will always dig in when we're interacting on something with someone else where I know I'm right. Now, I don't know who I'm talking to, but I know you're here. Pride will always dig in when I'm interacting with someone else and I know I'm right. Because when I'm operating in pride, what I need to do is reinforce this idea and feed this idea because I'm depending on the certainty that I've either accomplished something or I'm holding the right position so that I feel good about myself and I feel good about the world and the way I interact with the world. So when someone comes to me with a differing opinion, any threat to my understanding that I am right, that I am better, is a threat to my well-being. Even though I'm not actually well. When you live in pride, you're not actually well. But you think, if I can hold on to pride, I'll be okay. So when someone comes at with a, a different understanding, no matter how reasonable it is, it's a threat. I can't listen and understand and respect and honor. I can't let them disagree with me. I'm right and you are wrong. I can't gently disagree. I have to destroy those who think or act or campaign for anything different than my position. Does anybody feel like you're looking in a mirror? In the end, pride is a tool used by spiritual forces to destroy the community and the connection that we ache for. And that's why we're going to talk about it today. Because when we go, what, we're, what we've been talking about is love. Love one another, 
right? Pride is a tool that is used to destroy community and connection. And by the way, it is not a minor theme in Scripture. It is a major theme in Scripture. You find it all throughout Scripture. It's almost though it's a universal problem. It's almost as though no one can say, well, I've already dealt with pride. I'm good with that. You guys, I can tune out now. Right? If you think that pride is not a thing that you need to go to war with and you're going to tune out, so be it. But the Bible seems to act like it's everybody's problem. It's a battleground we all face. Throughout Scripture, we are warned against pride in very strong terms. We're told to be on our guard against pride. For example, we are told there are seven things God hates in Proverbs 6. And the first one is haughty eyes. Jesus' parables are full of warnings about pride from the older brother and the prodigal son. Wait a minute, I'm the good one. Why don't I get a party, right? To a Pharisee praying, God, I thank you that I am not like him. To a rich man who wouldn't give a thought to Lazarus sitting outside his gate starving away. And over and over and over again, Jesus uses pride as a theme in his parables. John, in 1 John, talks about the things that are of the world that we shouldn't love, and one of them is the pride of life. Paul tells us in Romans 12 to not be proud. He says in 2 Timothy, one characteristics of, of the terrible times of the last days, in the last days, terrible times will come. And the first things he says as people will be proud. James says God opposes the proud. So it's almost like every person, every major person in the New Testament has stood up and said, pride's a thing. And you're going to have to look at it. And you're going to have to go to war with it. It is a big deal. But we can't seem to find it. Where is that? So we just like shrug our shoulders and go on. Maybe you need help finding it today. Maybe we need to lean into the Spirit of God to be at work in our, in our souls. Because today I'm pointing us back to this idea, we are called to love our neighbors as ourselves. Two great commands, love God, love people, right? If we're going to do that, Paul describes love in 1 Corinthians 13 in really challenging ways. He describes it as choices that we make habits. We intentionally pursue these things. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, let's go back and look at what he says in verse 4. He says this, love is patient, love is kind. So a month ago, we looked at love is patient, love is kind. Hopefully, we're still allowing God to teach us and challenge us on patience and kindness. But look at the rest of that verse. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. Verse 5 says, it does not dishonor others. It does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others. So what Paul says is, these things are incompatible with love. Boasting is thinking, or being proud is being puffed up. Literally, the words are to be puffed up. Thinking a lot of yourself. It shows up in, I can do this myself. I need to do this. I'm the one who needs to be in charge of this. I'm the only one I can trust. I'm the one who's right. Thinking a lot of yourself. Then, uh, boasting is trying to make other people think highly of me. Listen to what I've done. Can you believe how good I am, how awesome I am? And then when both of those get, get going, you also find ways to dishonor others, to put them down, to tear them down so that you look better. There's a comparative nature of it, and it's a natural tendency. I want to look 
good. I want to look like I matter. I want to look like I have significance. Love does not boast, is not proud, does not dishonor others. Do you feel like you can see this in everyday life? Do you see people puffing themselves up and tearing others down? Do you see pride destroying relationships and connection? Do you see how hard it is to be close to someone who is proud, who's always right, who is critical of you? Maybe today, I mean, it's easy for us to see in other people, but maybe today my job is not to fix the world. Maybe today the challenge is for me to be a child of God who responds to the Spirit of God being formed into the image of Christ. Do you think that if you ask God today to show you one place where pride is destroying what you cherish or what is most valuable, do you think God would show you? So if I think He would and I think I need to see it and destroy it, why wouldn't I ask? I'm telling you, this is a thing that has gotten us so far off track. We think too much of Christianity thinks that what the problem is, is nobody knows that we're right. Love does not boast, is not proud, does not dishonor others. I think we've lost our grip on what we're actually called to do. I don't know the zone where God might be pointing in your life. Maybe it would be your witness. Your pride has poisoned the conversation with the people around you who need Jesus because all they know is that you're better than them and you're right and they're wrong and nothing will change your mind. That's all they know from you. Maybe it would be in your parenting or in your marriage where you are always right and others are never able to live up to your standard unless they do it just like you or think just like you. Maybe God wants to break a lot of things. Maybe pride is ruining your own self-well-being because you are never going to ask for help. So you're killing yourself because God has intentionally given you more than you can handle so that you will require the community that he's designed for you to be in, but you will never ask for help so you will wither and die under the weight because pride is killing you. I don't know where it needs to get applied to you, but I do know this. As Christians, we are called to follow a Savior who humbled himself and became obedient. Certainly to the Father, but think about this. He became obedient to death, even death on a cross. The implication behind Paul's words in Philippians 2 there is that he decided he would allow evil men filled with hate to nail him to a cross so he would die. That's a kind of humility we just don't have. And we don't want In order for us to pursue that, I think we have to see how destructive pride is. In this passage, it's destroying some things, and we're going to look at that in a second, but let me start in a big picture here, okay? How destructive is pride? How bad is pride? I don't think we think it's that bad. I think we think it's like part and parcel of being a strong person. We like pride. We like to feel strong. We like to feel on top. We like to feel superior. We think it's healthy. We think it's good. 
And I'm not saying we should think of ourselves as, you know, worms and all. Like, I'm not saying you should just have a low self-esteem. What I'm saying is my self-esteem comes from the fact that I'm a child of God. That he lo- I got to learn how to do that. Right? My, well, my sense of well-being, my, the peace in my soul about tomorrow and the next day and next year and 100 years from now is not because I've got it all figured out. It's because he's got me. Right? Let me talk about how, what pride has done in Scripture. First of all, Satan fell through pride. Did you know that? If there are two chapters in the Old Testament that talk about uh, Satan's fall, and they're both kind of intermixed with historical context, but it's very clear that it steps away from the king and the ruler that it's talking about and into uh, Satan's fall. Isaiah 14, he says, Satan sa- these words are in Satan's mouth in his fall. I will ascend, I will be like the Most High. Right? In Ezekiel 28, it says, your heart became proud because of your beauty. Pride is at the root of the fall of Satan. And then Proverbs chapter 16 tells us it's at the root of our fall too. You probably know Proverbs 16, 18. It says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride goes before your fall. So it was a root of Satan's fall, and it's at the root of your fall too. And by the way, as you look at those words, destruction and fall, sometimes we take it like this. Like pride is the reason that I got embarrassed. Oh, man, I was so proud, and then I fell down. I said I was going to win, and then I lost. Oh, man, my face is really red. That's not those words. Destruction and fall are words that talk about catastrophe, devastation. The literal translation of them is breaking ruin, calamity. We're not talking about a little trip. We're talking about getting shattered, and pride is what does it to you. Pride will kill what matters most to you. Pride will kill what matters most to you. It sows the seeds of deep regret and shame that keep killing you long after it brought you down. Doesn't it? Some people who live in shame and regret live there because pride keeps hammering away. Even though you are now humiliated, pride keeps telling you you should have done better. You should have been better. There's no remedy for you. You can't fix it, so there's no remedy for you. And pride enslaves us. I want to go to Romans chapter 12. Because I want to look at how this connects to this idea that love is not proud, does not boast, and does not dishonor others. What we learn is that pride actually blocks us from any kind of deep connection or community with others. It does it in part because it wounds our own soul by making us think we are self-sufficient and turning us away from the one who gives us life. And so when I do that, when my own soul becomes diseased in that way, it disables me from healthy, deep connections with others. It actually acts as a wall between me and them. Why does it do that? Here's why. Because pride turns all relationships and all interactions into comparisons. Who's better here? Who's on top? Pride compares. You cannot be closely connected to someone that you were in competition with for worth. I'm not saying competition like who will win the race. I'm saying competition like who matters more. Who's got better footing here? 
Who is superior? Comparison ruins relationships. And the competition part of comparison sucks all of the lasting and satisfying joy out of anything. Even the accomplishments that your pride wants you to pursue, comparison sucks all the life out of that. Because no matter how much you've accomplished now, you're only as good as your next accomplishment, right? And you just keep chasing and chasing and chasing. Romans chapter 12, I want you to notice there's, this is in the part of Romans where Paul is giving advice and instruction on how to live the Christian life. And there's so much we could look at in here. Like I said, pride is just such a huge topic. But Romans chapter 12, verse 16, here's what he says. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. So just look at that look at that verse for a second. Live in harmony with one another and it is connected to the next the next word. Do not be proud. Pride is specifically connected as an obstacle to living in harmony with one another. And it gives us advice on what we should do to fight pride. What is the advice? Seek out people of low position and associate with them. People that you think are below you, people that others would think are below you, and go associate with them. That's kind of like the worst advice ever for a high schooler, right? Go hang out with losers and weird people. But isn't that what he's saying? The people that others reject... Go make friends of them. It's not this superior, like, look how good I am. I'm just this, you know, person coming down from my high place to these lowly people, and I just puff myself up with how humble I am. It's not that. The idea is that I go and I engage with them. I identify with them. They belong with me. They're now part of my group. They're part of my family. They're part of my network. I care about them. I, I want to work for them. I want to listen to them and understand them. I am associating with them. That's the idea there. So he says, do not be proud, live in harmony with each other, be willing to associate with people of low position. I'm just asking church, where are we doing that? Like that seems to me like instruction. And I wonder if we have just abdicated or basically excused ourselves from that instruction. People who are not as good as you, that you would go, Befriend them, include them, make them belong. That's what we're called to. That's what helps us guard our heart. So there is a connection of a barrier between pride and community, but there's also a connection between humility and love. Ephesians 4.2, Paul says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in Love. So the connection there between humility and love is right there in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2. Peter says the same thing. Love one another, be compassionate and humble. If we read through Scripture, it's clear over and over that pride is the enemy of love. And our great command is to love. So there's no place in our lives for pride. Pride has to go. So I don't know how this battle is going to play out in our souls. Because pride is such a huge topic, I don't know what God is going to lead in your life. But I want to take a little look at some strategy. How do we battle pride? What habits can we embrace in our lives? And I'll give you some ideas 
But I really believe that the Spirit of God is going to have to speak in the hearts of His people. So I'm going to go back to see an example of someone who had a habit of being humble. A habit of being humble. Let's look at King David. And in 1 Samuel chapter 24, we're going to read a little story of King David. And here's why I want to read this story. Because this is at a time where David has been anointed the next king. He is going to be the guy who assumes the throne. And yet, right now, Saul is king. God gives David over and over the opportunity to to take the kingship himself. But David chooses humility instead. David chooses submission instead. It's almost like he has a habit of humbling himself. So watch what happens here in 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse 4. The men said, this is David's men, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemies